How's it, guys? My name is Mark Haystick, and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. So, this is the first episode with our new host, one of our new hosts, and uh, I couldn't choose who to have first, but it just so happened that we're going to have Joshua Winter on with us today uh, as the first episode I'm having with him as one of the new hosts who's going to be helping me on the Birding Life Youth Podcast. So, um, before we get into Joshua's personal life, I want to ask him, okay, actually a personal question. Um, tell me, Josh, Zeiss or Swarovski? Oh, geez. Uh, I think I would definitely take Swarovski any any day of the week. Ah, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now yeah. you're talking. No, that's cool. You're a Swarovski yeah, guy. I've always thought those are the ultimate binoculars to own. Like, you can't get close to those. Um, yeah. So hopefully I'll get some in the future, but I don't know if any at the moment. <laughs> oh, me neither, shucks. I'm still, I still have my Bushnell, which is a, a you know, middle class South African binocular bland. Um, excuse me, <laughs> your bland binocular brand. Uh, let me say it that way. Um, yeah, I've, I've also got oh, some. Not a bad mouth then, but mm. you know, it's it's uh, medium quality. It's mm. good price range for what you get, but obviously Swarovski is is just top of the range, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, yeah, it feels like heaven in your hands, really. It's, it's yeah, yeah. They all fit so nice in your hands. And I think I've heard that the the lenses are made out of diamond or something, or they they've got diamond in them because Swarovski is a gem company, right? So yeah, I've heard some of them have diamond infused into the lenses or something like that. I don't know if I'm correct, Sheesh. but I'm pretty sure I've heard that. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they make such beautiful binoculars. The ones I th- I know which which I know to be top of the range at the mm. moment is the NL Pures. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I know John Kinghorn, one of South Africa's renowned youth birders, was, yes. um, he was um, an ambassador for them, I think, with, with that model. Oh, yeah, that's nice. So what, they sent him a free pair then? Or... Yeah, and he just had to give a good review. Well, I mean, obviously you would give a good review. I think, yeah, it, I think it's yes. um, 12 by 42 or 12 by 50s. Okay, okay. I think that's the sure. range. But uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing he did say about that, sorry, just to keep going on this topic, but it, it is relevant to birding, is that it's not good for forest birding because 12 times optical zoom, that's two more than your average binoculars for birding, and 50 times width, um, mm. you get a, a, a wide angle, but it's very zoomed in. And so, you know, you, you can't look at cameropteras or green bulls jumping very close to you in the forest. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd take a 12 times magnification Swarovski pair of binoculars any day <laughs> if if I got sponsored one. Yeah, any day. Yeah, if anyone wants to give us some, go ahead. <laughs> I know some people who've found theirs, I think, I can't remember who it was, but he was driving around some game reserve and there was just a pair of them lying on the floor. Oh. And he just picked them up and they were his... Oh my Who goodness! Who was it? I think oh, it don't, might wait, don't Wade. say. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Wow! Oh shame. Oh no, that's awesome. Oh, I need to chat to Wade and get some advice from him. Sheesh. Yeah, I've I've never spoken to him, but yeah, he seems pretty cool. Yeah. No, Wade is a good youth birder. Well, he's now moved overseas, but Wade Lee, he's got a cool Instagram account taking pictures of birds and stuff. Um, but that's funny enough how I actually met you, Josh, was on Instagram. So today we're going to have a nice chat to Joshua Winter. 
And so now that we've asked one simple question, tell us a bit about yourself, an introduction to what you do, yeah, a bit about your life in South Africa as a birder. Well, so for starters, my name is Joshua Winter, and I've been living in Gauteng my entire life, never moved houses or anything like that. So, you know, growing up in a big, dirty city, you kind of need an escape every now and again. <laughs> um yeah, so I've been lucky enough to grow up in a family where we went to the bush very often for Christmas in the August holidays, um, in April holidays. So yeah, I've kind of how I developed my passion for birding was by through my family really. They yeah, I've just always been in the bush, and then one year I think it was twenty nineteen for Christmas I asked for a camera, and my parents said, "Well, what are you going to do with a camera?" I'm like, I don't know, but I'll I'll make my money's worth out of it, you know. And then they got me a camera and then I figured, well, now what do I take photos of? And I realized that I love birds and I love animals. I always have. And I decided, okay, well, I'll take photos of birds then and animals. And it started with animals and I've been taking photos of animals. But now I post more about birds because they're just a little bit more accessible where I live I don't live especially close to any big five game reserves I mean I live close to Dinner King but that's I don't know it's hard to find wildlife in there so I yeah and ever since getting a camera my passion for birding has really kind of exploded and I try to get out as much as possible but now that I'm in matric it's it's been quite hard so I'm sure this year hasn't been the best year for birding and yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, thanks, Josh. And that was a it's a, a big th- was a big thing for me uh, last year, mm. uh, finishing with matric. And uh, I actually stopped the Birding Life Youth podcast mainly because of that reason and for this job that I've just started with as field guiding. But uh, now in the winter, um, I've asked Joshua Winter to join me on the Birding Life Youth podcast because <laughs> at this time of year we don't have a lot of guests from overseas coming to join us at. Uh, the lodge here and so it's a lot more quiet I have a bit more time Um, but I'm supposing that you went on your trips um, as a you know with your family that sparked you into nature a lot to the Kruger Park because that's sort of close to Joburg yeah yeah it was primarily to the Kruger and then I've been to other places like Tala, uh, Makuzi, Mahubaskluf I'm supposed oh, wow. to be going to Botswana later this year, but uh, it's still a little oh, bit gee. up in the air. Yeah. Well, we're planning to go to the Central Kalahari Game Reserve, so it's quite a wow. Yeah, man. yeah, it's quite a an unbirded area almost. Um, there's not yeah, too much it's, information it's, about that's it. That's very yeah. wild. Yeah, so that that'll be quite incredible if we manage to sort everything out by August. Yeah, so I'm hoping that will happen. That's a bunch of places you've been to. Uh, Joburg seems quite central that you've got, I think it's Matikwe, yes. you've got the Kruger Park, you've got the Greater Kruger, you have, uh, you know, Northwest is not too far either. But yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's a, a lot of a lot of parks you've got around there. Yeah, yeah. So we're quite lucky in that sense. Then also around the city, we've got quite a bit of birding spots like there's Marivelle, Sekabosrant, Devon, the Boones Road, I think that's its name. It's close to Kruger's Talk, which isn't too far. 
Then further north, we've got Zachkel's Drift, which is only about an hour out of yeah. Pretoria. That's the only minutes. name I'm familiar with so far that <laughs> out of all the things you've said. Zachkel's yes, yeah. Drift is like all the big birders in South Africa know that place and have been there. Yeah. I'm not a big birder in South Africa yet. <laughs> oh, really looking forward to coming and exploring your area. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm, it, it, there's a lot of good birding around here, surprisingly, considering I live in a in a very dirty city but yeah the, i've always thought that's oh kale's drift mm. like i've been there about three times i think but i've always i've always seen it as a bit of an overburdened area you know like if people want to come burdened gauteng like they go to zoch kale's drift but there there are other places you know um well not just as good birding but yeah there are other places that definitely deserve just as much attention as oh kale's drift i'm sure mm. attention because one thing to note as an outsider from Gauteng is that Johannesburg is the biggest man-made forest, I believe, in the Southern Hemisphere. I, I think it's the biggest man-made forest in the world. I, yeah. Sure. So we've got a lot of trees. Um, so that's quite nice, I suppose. I've mm. never really... Not every garden's got yeah. trees. So your yeah, garden birding is fantastic yeah, just as yeah. it is. It, it's very good, like in my garden... I have I haven't had anything too spectacular, um, but we have a couple owls um, every now and again. I've had a gymnogene come through. Oh, yeah, I have my little flock of mannequins that I I love mannequins. I always like to. I'm always looking out the window, out of my bedroom window, seeing if they're eating on the grass. Sure. Um, and then about my granny lives about five hundred meters away from me in a different complex. And they've got honey guides in their garden. Um, they've had, oh, yeah, they, wow, they once man. had a gray-headed bushrock, I think last year. In the middle of Joburg, there was a gray-headed bushrock just sitting in their tree. Yeah. What? So that was. Well, we don't get them this far south yeah. on the garden route, but um, yo, I, I, I know that is a bushveld species, not a highveld yeah. species. So speaking about honey guides um, that you, you, you said just a few minutes ago, I mm. had oh, my first greater honey guide sighting of this year here, just outside the lodge. And, oh, man, I was all alone. I just ran, grabbed my binoculars, found it after it called twice, and there it was sitting, this male greater honey guide. Just on my own. You are really good at that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, they say he's saying, Vic. Victor, Victor, like he's calling his friend Victor, the honey badger. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, all I could think about was uh, John Edmonds' CD track um, of uh, Tales of the Bird Watchers, where he sang about Victor, the honey badger, and uh, Clive, the greater honey guide. Oh, such an excellent song. It's like this Western mixed with, road, you know, English Rhodesian man singing um, bird songs for kids uh, and for adults, actually. It helps. Helps you to remember the birds, the story behind it, the name, the meaning, and all that. Yeah, I think my my favorite bird call is most definitely um, orange-breasted bushrock. Oh man, um, it's just you know I find it that's and believe it's not red-chested cuckoo. I know many people probably get annoyed <laughs> by red-chested cuckoo. It, it just it always reminds me of Christmas time, you know, because, well, obviously they're always around Christmas time and oh, then sure. end of January, beginning of Feb, they start to slow down a bit and by the by March, they're pretty much completely quiet. 
Yeah. Now I put on a, a, a recording yesterday of Kruger Bush sounds um, from YouTube, you know, yes, when I was yeah. just studying and like this voice recording from the bushfield was just overpowered by red chested cuckoos, the Pete may throw yes. and <laughs> bushfield kingfishers, you know, the sounds of Kruger. Oh man. And I, and it's the middle of winter here, you know, we're, we're in the last, mm. we're, we're in basically June now. And, you know, we just don't hear them. You know, they're gone to the Northern yeah, Hemisphere now. And it made me miss them so much. They are. I, I really do miss them. But then also another bird that I really like is, this call is the white-bellied sunbird. Um, oh, really? And that's just because every winter they come and they visit my garden because we've got aloes. And they, Lacquer. yeah, they just, uh, whenever I hear them, I, oh, I go look out my window. I've even named them because um, <laughs> it's one pair <laughs> that sticks in the area. So yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's the the beauty of having your local patch and birding your local area well mm. is is you know, getting to know the species and birds that return all the time. Um, but speaking about sunbirds, I've recently had a uh, you know an obvious change that you could see winter is coming now. Yeah. Uh, we got frost for the first time three mornings ago oh, sure. um, here in May. And um, now we're having African olive pigeons or the Ramaran oh, pigeons, yes, yes. some taxonomical you know, names. It's We had six of them fly into the nature reserve, which is the first time I've ever seen one yet. But I chatted to okay. the owner of our nature reserve and he says that every winter these pigeons come here and sometimes in a flock of 100, these African yeah. olive pigeons, a forest dwelling species, moves on to our bush felt kind of acacia and low fainbos vegetation um, nature reserve. And um, it's because the African olive pigeon, as I just did a post on Instagram the other day, is named after the African olive tree because oh, that's its favorite food. Okay. And I mean, it's so obvious, but I didn't know that, but they mm. move into our nature reserve in winter, which is not forest where they usually dwell because they come to feed on the olives, which only fruit in winter. Um, okay. And so oh, just an interesting thing on the side, but then what I actually wanted to get to was you mentioned your sunbird that migrates in mm. the winter. Um, I had my first record of a dusky sunbird. Okay. And uh, it must be a, a winter migration. It's the first time I've seen them this south part of the mountain here mm. close to the coast. And it's kind of a rarity, but I mean, you go mm. 50 kilometers north over the mountain, which is a big natural boundary, and you get Otsuar and, and the Klein Karoo, which is a basically wild west of South Africa, um, dry habitat, and that's where they occur. But down here, where we've got forests and fainbos and lakes and rivers, it's very unusual to have them. And I was very excited about that. But I think, you know, even some species that aren't hectically migratory in winter, you know, they are nomadic in the winter. And it's cool to see that. It's really cool. Like, um, what do they call them? Seasonal migrants, I believe. Right. Or... Uh, altitudinal? I think so. Some of them are. Alter yes, altitudinal. Yeah, something like that. Um, and I know I went down to... When I was in Makuzi last year, I really wanted to see a southern banded snake eagle because they reported fairly frequently around Nsumo Pan. Uh -huh. Then I started talking to some guy there and he's like, No, it's wrong time of year for them. Like I don't I don't know much about this bird, but I was a little bit disappointed in that in that moment. <laughs> you went yeah. there to look for it like, and then it's like he just ruined your hopes because you didn't know that. Yeah. Oh dear. 
Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that wasn't. Yeah, but I saw a lot of other nice things. Yeah, sure. so. Oh, I mean, that's stuff stuff we don't know because we don't really hear a lot about yeah. it in bird books or bird outings and with other birders. Mm. Is the the altitudinal migrants or the winter migrants? You know, you hear about summer migrants, um, the cuckoos. The swallows, they migrate yeah. to follow the summer. But then you get birds like fairy flycatcher. You get that up in Gauteng in winter. Mm, yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. But only this time of year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we get them all year round in the Karoo over here. Um, but obviously, they go lower in number because some of them migrate up there. And that's something I only learned about in the last few years, a couple of years, is the winter migrants. And just like the olive pigeons who are nomadic in winter, that's it. There's probably a bunch of species, like maybe a hundred species, that are they migrate or semi migrate in the winter. It's a whole new ball game of, of yes. birds' understanding and science to dig into and discover and understand. That's that's cool. That's um, something yeah. that you know gives you another challenge within birding to to learn and to grapple with and to understand. You know, never mind LBJs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to learn uh, the normal birds' migrations yeah, first. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. um, I read a article actually earlier today. It was some new study has come out there. It says that birds can switch off their migration navigation. Like it's like a switch in their brain that they just switch off. And apparently, they use the stars and the sun to navigate. So I don't know if I'm a European bee eater coming from from Europe. Apparently they follow the stars, I've and then when they get that. to the cities, sometimes, mm, yeah, yeah. When they get to the cities, they get confused because oh. of the all the lights um, and the light pollution. Goodness. So I'm I'm thinking maybe that's how the the wood warbler pitched up last oh, year, sheesh. and uh, was yeah, it the lesser hey. white throat the year before. We yeah. also had a lesser white throat. Yeah, um, yeah. Those yeah. are northern hemispheres. So I'm thinking yeah. maybe. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking that maybe the city lights block the stars and they just pick the wrong mm. direction. No, were, were that, I mean, like that, the yeah. white throat was close to Kruger, but it was in a town, or, or, or no, sort of close to a town, yeah. but not quite a city. But, I mean, it's got to fly past different cities. Mm. And um, I don't know I don't yeah. know where the location of the wood warbler was. Yeah, I, I went to go see it. It was, it was in Palabora at some, what was the lodge's name? There was some lodge just outside of Kruger on the border also, of Kruger. Also, close to Kruger. So um, interesting. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. I, I've heard briefly about that. Um, you know, in America, they have uh, turn mm. the lights off for the birds or something like that. Uh, where yes. in the big cities. Yeah, during migration right. season. And that's so interesting. Actually, I thought it was just a theory um, that they they followed the lights or all the stars for navigation. And I think it's a very valid mm. theory. It's incredible. Because, I mean, that's how people before GPS and, s- and smart devices uh, uh, f- navigated for thousands of years. Uh, you know, people did that on boats and, and on land. It's um, it's something you can always rely on if you can understand it. But, yeah, I mean, all animals have so much more natural instincts than humans can understand. Um, magnetic fields, you know, they can smell the yes. rain a few days in advance and and uh, for example, yeah, following the stars for navigation, it's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, you would never think such a. I mean, let's be honest, when you look at birds, they don't look like the most intelligent things in the world. No. Um, 
but those brains um yeah there's something special going on in yeah, their heads yeah. that humans would not cannot achieve yeah and birds can fly that's also insane yeah i mean I, I would love to be able to fly if you could give me any superpower give me the superpower of being able to fly yo the price of petrol absolutely would, no from a yeah oh yeah the <laughs> price of petrol would, would um not matter <laughs> yeah it wouldn't <laughs> no but i mean um yeah. yeah from a little kid i've wanted to fly that's been my dream you know if i could have one superpower i would be like i would be a dove if if, if it comes to mm. that i want to fly um but birds have got incredible senses they've oh, got yeah. the aerodynamics to be able to take lift yeah. and wind and fly and they, they've got hollow bones i mean what interesting animals and there's 10,000 or 11,000 species mm. in the world to discover no one's ever seen them all you know why not be a birder man <laughs> and on that note uh, something i've been thinking about lately is you know i haven't been doing a lot of birding lately since i've been studying field guiding which is general nature studies and um i've really missed my birding mm. and I, I i've realized you know i haven't had bird club outings in over eight months specifically birding for a whole day with someone for eight months uh, me and my colleague here we, we we do get to go out birding uh, but most of our birding is alone on our free time because there's always someone working here on the game reserve. Uh, so we don't get the chance to go out, drive, just drive around for the day to go birding. We've had a very busy season. And I've realized, you know, birding is not the same if you don't, if you don't do it with someone else who's also a birder. You know, it adds so much flavor to the experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, It's also having someone with you it helps you almost verify your identifications yeah um, of course because oftentimes i see something and i'm like oh that's a netter key or something and then i'm like wait a minute i might be making something wrong here but you know when there's two people it's always it's like you can compare the two identifications yeah. and that's something i miss when i when i go birding by myself you know i'm always scared of making a mistake and putting a bird that I thought I saw but didn't see down on my list. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and and I mean on the bird club outings we do. Um, I remember mm -hmm. how we used to do it. Is you know at the end of the day we'd gather around in a group, get the camping chairs out, eat the lunch. We always end off by ticking off a list of birds that we saw to that day. Um, and everyone would contribute and, you know, one person would say this and then one person would say that, that no one else saw. Yes. Um, and it's interesting species that, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you have a bunch of people working together in one area, you get so many different birds. And, you know, having four eyes instead of two, you get to, you know, look both directions. You know, birding with two, two, three or four people, like on birding big day is actually such a nice number because you have between four and eight eyes. And you see and hear so much more. And as yeah. you said, you can get a verification or a more confident identification of a bird because there's more people. Yeah, I know. Birding together is, is it's pretty cool. And um, what I like is, you know, the competition. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to compare what you saw here and there um, and making a list. I love, you know, since I've become a birder, it's, uh, you know, I'm running out of lifers. And so now it's mm, yeah. how much birds can I get on my list for this day and then compare it to the next day yes. or whatever. Um, and what helped me a lot is Bird Lasser and Atlas thing called South African Bird Atlas Project 2. 
Have you done any twitches worth mentioning this year, Josh? This year? Um, no, no, not not at all. Yeah, unfortunately, this this year I've I've only been birding in. I've only been birding three times. Ah, oh, you've been working hard at your matric year, man. No, yeah, yeah, good on you. <laughs> yeah, so all I've actually been actually no, I've been more than three times. I went to I went to Sondela Nature Reserve because we just have a timeshare there, and that's actually where I saw my four hundredth bird. It was the African cuckoo hawk. Oh, what um, incredible species! Yeah it, yeah, it was the most bizarre thing ever. Um, we were just driving along and. I looked to the side, and there's this cuckoo hawk eating, I believe it was a mouse. Sheesh, with a prey item, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I always, a cuckoo hawk's always been a bird of, like, I've been dying to see. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite nice for it to be my 400th. Um, That's an excellent milestone species, yeah. What, when was that? Which, which date? Uh, I think it was the 9th of January. So yeah, the beginning of the year. And then I did a day trip to um the, the Pilansberg. Uh nothing nothing too special. I saw a Timmings Corsa, which I, I always enjoy seeing uh Timmings wow, Corsa. I've never seen that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They I don't know. They 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 look so peculiar. It's Yeah, um, they are peculiar uh, looking, man. Yeah. Weird it's, shape. It's not a, not a bird you would expect to see every day. Well, you don't see it every day, but it's it's not the most. Yeah, it's just a nice bird to see. And then I did a trip to Cape Town, where I swam across the ocean, and I ended up swimming. There were some penguins swimming next to me. Oh, um, what? Yeah. Okay, I wait, didn't so see just, them. Just to make it clear, so this was when yeah. you did your from Cape Town to Robin Island swim. Yeah, yeah, other way around. Robin Island to Cape Town, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> and you had penguins swimming next to you. How close? Yeah. Um, about Apparently, they're about 10 meters. I didn't see them. I was too focused on not getting stung by jellyfish. But my dad and the... <laughs> yeah, my dad and the captain of the boat um, were saying that... When I got out, they're like, did you see the penguins? Did you see the penguins? I'm like, no. The captain of the boat said, I've been doing this for 10 years. This is the second time in 10 years I've seen penguins swimming next to someone. Oh, and that just rubs it in your yeah. face, eh? Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, dear. Because, yeah, Robin Island apparently has one of the larger African penguin colonies, um, which is, yeah, you, you don't really hear that about Robin Island. You hear Robin Island as a prison, but it's mm -hmm. actually, there's a massive Cape... Um, Cape Cormorant and white-breasted colony there, and there's the African penguin breeding colony. So yeah, when I was starting the swim, I had to climb up onto the rocks, and I was just surrounded by cormorants. It's like the most bizarre thing ever because they're just all—they're all looking at you, they're eyeing you out. Did you get any pictures of this of this place uh, with all the cormorants um, on Robin Island and your 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 swim? I've got some photos of my swim, but I. I think I've got photos of the rocks because um, I've heard of Robin Island as the place where they've got the only tickable Indian peafowl, which is your peacock. Yes, yeah. Uh, in South Africa, because they have been there for hundreds of years or something. Yeah, yeah. And the Chukar partridge, yes. which is a, another Invasive. alien species, yeah. which is only 
legally in terms of the burning ethics tickable on your list over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I didn't go far enough onto the island to see those. Um, <laughs> so I'll have to go back again. But yeah, it, it's a it's strange. Like, wh- why are the chuka partridges there? Um, do you know the story behind them? Man, I forgot today. Is I read it? it up somewhere. They have got information about it, but it was the European travelers or or, or, or something from probably over 100 okay. years ago. They had them on the boat and they released them there or they escaped and now they've just developed a feral colony, a feral uh, population on the island, yeah. which is good. Um, honestly, I don't think any in alien species should exist on the mainland. Um, mm. And I, I don't like any alien species, you know, in my yes, heart yeah. at all, actually. Uh, to get rid of them is, is, is a mm. big discussion. But that the fact that they're on the, an island which is quite barren, is nice because they won't affect a big ecosystem by having competition with other species. Yes, yeah, it's it's almost like they are the lost prisoners left on Robin Island. Um, <laughs> if That's you were true. to make that comparison, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it was it was quite a spectacular sight. I mean, I don't think I'll ever see. I won't ever stand amongst that many cormorants again. Wow. So that was one of your birding outings you've done this year. Um, yeah. You, 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 the main purpose was that you were swimming. Uh, how many kilometers, by the way? It was 7.4. Um, yeah, so 7.4 kilometers from Robben Island to Bloberg. Um, okay. And yeah, it was, it was an interesting swim. I'm just very lucky. Uh, well, I, I'm kind of sad, but I'm also kind of happy that I didn't encounter port and starboard. Um, I don't know if you know who they are. What's that? They, do you, um, they're the two uh, killer whales, the males. Yeah, they're, they're quite famous at the moment because they've been taking out great white sharks. All the great white sharks have left False Bay because of um, port and starboard. So what they do is they attack the sharks and they kill them and they pull their livers out. I think it's their livers. And they just eat the liver. Oh my and then word, I think yeah. in one day they had 17 sharks wash up on shore. Or killed by port and starboard. What? Yeah. What? Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. That's uh, horrific. <laughs> uh, I mean, we have the the orcas around the area as well. Every now and then, I think it's at a certain time of year. But here, where mm. I am close to Mossel Bay, in Mossel Bay is um, breeding mm. grounds for great whites. Apparently, because we've got a seal island here. Okay. And so, I mean, also every now and then, the orcas come and chow some of the biggest shocks in the world yeah yeah because yeah I, I was kind of in the in the mind while swimming um while swimming like in the middle when you're about three k's in i started thinking about sharks i'm like because it's very weird there's you don't know how deep the water is and then sometimes you see a jellyfish like far down and you think oh my gosh imagine there was a shark but then i always remembered then i always remember don't worry port and starboard are there to protect you but then I realized, well, maybe they'll come after me. Um, so, <laughs> yo, man, you brave, man. You, <laughs> you, you brave. I've always been a, I've always been a land guy. I, I've, yeah. I've never liked swimming in deep water. Yeah. Um, and I stopped swimming at in primary school. Yeah. But that's an epic thing to go from Robin Island to the the South African mainland. Um, yeah. Uh, that must have been awesome. Wow. Yeah, it, it most definitely was. <laughs> While I was there, actually, 
I went to Boulder's Beach for the first time, and I went to Cape Point. Uh, Boulder's Beach didn't impress me too much. There were too many too many tourists. Um, oh, there's always yeah. so much tourists. No, it, it was actually quite terrible. <laughs> um, Same. Yeah, I mean, just for those who haven't been, I mean, if you come to South Africa as a bird, it's the guaranteed place to see African penguin. Like, but uh, you'll also see lots of different nations. And then after that, we went to Cape Point and uh, picked a few birds off there, such as Cape Sugarbird, uh, Bulbul. What's the what's the Bulbul Cape Bulbul? I always yeah. think that's. Uh, um, to the people of Cape Town, it must be such a common bird. But when I see it, it's so I always common. think it's so cool because it's got that funny ring yeah. around the eye. I've always just when I saw it, I'm like that. That it looks like it comes from a cartoon almost. <laughs> yeah, um, they got a cool character. You know, the Afrikaans name is a tiptoe, and then the other Afrikaans name is a botergat, which means butter butt. You know, because <laughs> the yellow bum. Ach, you know, just common. Common South African um, yeah. bird names. South Africa's got some very special bird names, you know. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's so common. Where I am, I see them every day. But, you know, the other two species that occur in South Africa, the dark-capped bulbul and the red-eyed bulbul, mm. for me, are so cool because we don't get them down here. Yeah, so yeah. I can imagine how it is for you seeing that species of bulbul mm. when you come to the I'm Cape. Down, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've got a resident pair of dark-capped bulbuls in my garden. So, <laughs> yeah, like you say. Uh-huh. Um, what's what's very cool for me is quite normal for you, and you know, vice versa. Man, yeah, I mean, that's the cool part about exploring South Africa's biodiversity, and uh, is is connecting with people who are in the different parts and regions and biomes of the country, and then going birding with them who is familiar with that area. And I mean, wherever you go in South Africa, there's different birds to see, and that's always exciting. That's what's exciting is. Of uh, with when it comes to birding, there's always different colors, different subspecies of the same species. Well, welcome to the team, Josh, and uh, thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for chatting with me this evening. It was very lacquer. Dar say thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to tune in next week to hear who our second new podcast host will be. Subscribe to the Birding Life on all your social media platforms and podcast players. Happy birding and be blessed. <laughs> <laughs>